Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about status. Madeline told me she had an unusual request. It's about Christy, she said with a smile. I adored Christy. Christy was Madeline's assistant. My coaching relationship with Madeline had been ongoing for several years, and Christy had been there every step of the way. Christy was one of those wonderful executive assistants who adds value all day long. But she wasn't assertive, not on her own behalf, and Madeline felt sometimes not on behalf of the work. Christy had ambition, but she struggled to take action. Madeline was Christy's biggest cheerleader. Now she asked me, what would you think if I gave one of my coaching sessions to Christy? I said, well, that sounds like fun. And then I said, what are you picturing? Madeline shrugged. Well, she's heard everything I have to say about assertiveness. Actually, a lot of times I just repeat what you've told me, Tom. But there's no movement, and she's frustrated. So I thought maybe if she talks with you, it'll help her the way it helps me. I started to speak, but she cut in, saying, And before you ask, the answer is yes, I've told Christy my idea, and she can't wait. Sitting with Christy, knowing we had an entire coaching session in front of us, felt like a luxury. We had never been able to talk longer than a leisurely stroll from the elevator to Madeline's office, or maybe a short chat after a session. We had talked briefly about her struggle to be more assertive, but now, finally, we had time to dive down into topics that had been stuck on the surface. I asked her for some recent examples of when she had been less assertive than she wanted to be. She told me how she always flinched when two particular executives' names showed up on her caller ID. And she told me that she often accepted work from other assistants that she really should refuse. She shook her head with some disgust and continued, I grew up in a part of the South where status was like a religion. Who had status and who didn't was a serious topic. Well, around this place, sometimes, it's as if my status just evaporates. I try to stop it from... What are you smiling about? I'm sorry, Christy, I said. Status is a word I don't use very often. Hearing you say it just now triggered this memory from Juilliard. She knew about my former career as an actor. She was immediately intrigued. I said, instead of me describing it, would you do it with me? What, an acting exercise? She said eagerly, with a little shot of terror mixed in. I said yes, to which she gave a little shudder and said, Okay, why not? I told her the exercise was a game about status. I said, Juilliard was training us to be classical actors, so there we were, these young kids cast as kings and queens, or their courtiers, or the groundlings. In Shakespeare's plays, people are put to death all the time. Status in that world had power that we can barely comprehend, so this game helps you think big. Kings and beggars, life and death. Okay, she said, grinning. I went on, the game's simple. One person gets all the status, the other gets none. All or nothing, completely exaggerated. And then you just see what happens. But no matter what, until someone calls time out, it's 100% one or the other. All king or all beggar, okay? She nodded and said, you want me to be the beggar, right? 
No, Christy, I said with a huge smile, you're the king. Horror flashed across her face for just an instant and then was gone. After the merest pause, her body shifted slightly taller. She turned her shoulders away from me but kept her eyes dead on mine, gave a tiny smile and said slowly, Well, that's right. I am the king. Her instantaneous transformation into a quiet powerhouse was so complete and so far from her usual self that I almost laughed. But seeing the game was on, I dropped my shoulders and looked away, saying softly, Well, it's nice to see you. To which she answered, I'm sure it is. Things are going to be very different around here. Her voice was more mature than I'd ever heard it. Our roles quickly became more corporate than geopolitical, more boss than king. There were tasks she wanted done, and she wanted me to do them. She never raised her voice, but she was decisive and direct. She was highly assertive without being aggressive. It was a very positive display of personal power. After some time, she stopped the game and sat down. She turned to me, grinning, and said, "'That felt great!' She laughed with delight and clapped her hands. We talked about how it had felt to have such high status. At one point she said, I've always thought having status meant you had to be mean. And some people are mean when they have status, but that game showed me I can have status and still keep the good parts of me too. I can have both. Meanness is a choice, and I am not going to choose it. And then Christy and I talked about the need for her to dial up her status in her daily life. One month later, in a very different setting, I found myself talking about status and meanness again. Kevin, the head of a division at a Silicon Valley giant, was worried that one of his direct reports, a guy named Rick, was mean. He manages up really well, so I never see it, Kevin said. But this feedback about him being mean to people below him, that's been floating around for years. Now that he's reporting to me, I want it to get better. While I was gathering feedback about Rick, I found out he had gone through eight assistants in one year. He didn't feel it was a big deal. I thought it was a great way to discuss Rick's use of status and whether people experienced him as mean. One day, about four months into the coaching, I happened to observe him from a distance with yet another assistant. I saw him inflate himself with status and use it like a brick to get what he wanted. Later, discussing what I'd observed, he was not apologetic. As he narrated the incident from his point of view, the status game popped into my head again. When I described the game to him, he was much less eager to play than Christie had been. He said, I suppose you want me to be the beggar so I can see what it feels like, right? Actually, no, Rick. I thought it'd be more fun for you to be the king and not have to worry about pissing people off. He was still reluctant, but more willing than if I had suggested he be the beggar. I could see he didn't know where to begin, so I dropped into my low-status role. I began profusely apologizing to him for having an idea about where we might begin the game. He caught on. Soon, in a highly condescending tone, he was telling me, how I could be a better coach, and how I could run my business more profitably. Sticking to my role, I picked up my pad and began furiously writing down every gem he uttered, all the while muttering, Oh, you're right. Oh, I should do that. Oh, that's a good idea. The more compliant I became, the higher he inflated his status. 
He got so energized he began striding the conference room, and he got mean. He began using words like stupid, ridiculous, and idiotic. When he stopped the game, he had the frightened awe of someone who had survived the ecstasy of a deadly drug. He was shaken. That was not good, he said. But man, I could so easily become that guy. After that, Rick explored status from many angles, including his family relationships. He observed, for example, that he adopted different status when he interacted with his parents than with his children, and different again with his own siblings versus his wife's. He began noticing that, in response to the status he assigned other people, he dialed his own up or down accordingly. He said, When I'm in high status mode, I get deaf. I'm all puffed up with myself, and I can't hear anything the other person says, let alone whether they're having any feelings. He began to see that his shifts into high or low status were triggered by his own beliefs about other people. I have all sorts of rules and shoulds about who's where on the pecking order. What I never realized before is there is no pecking order. Not really. It's all in my head. So switching on my status is a choice that I'm making. Christy had had the exact same revelation. Rick worked to keep his status switched off for longer and longer periods of time, which was good for him. On the other hand, Christy was learning to keep hers switched on, and that was good for her. Look, we all assign ourselves status. It's understandable and appropriate that you would shift your status depending on whether you're talking to a child or the chairman of the board. What's more important are three questions. Are you aware of your status default setting? Are you aware when you shift your status? Are you aware how other people experience your status? Your status default might be calibrated just right, but it's just as likely that you would benefit from dialing it up like Christy, or you might benefit from dialing it down like Rick. Focusing attention on the default setting of your status will teach you how to control the dial. Finding the healthiest setting for everyone is an essential prerequisite for the look and sound of leadership. The goal of this episode has been to give you an exercise that will help make sure that people around you, both at work and at home, perceive you in a way that's going to be beneficial to you. And to do that, you need to manage your self-talk. Managing your self-talk is a lifelong discipline that needs constant vigilance. Five other episodes of The Look and Sound of Leadership that can also help you manage your self-talk are Assume Equality, Choosing Stories Over Truth, Leadership and Self-Deception, Perception is Reality, and Smoothing Harsh Edges. Those episodes, and all the episodes of The Look and Sound of Leadership, are available through iTunes and Stitcher, but they're also always available to you for free on the Essential Communications website, EssentialCom.com. That's EssentialCom with two M's dot com. Click Coaching Tips, and then... Use the search bar to find the episodes you want, or sort by categories like self-talk. There are more than 50 episodes in the self-talk category to help you become more mindful 
about the messages you tell yourself about yourself. Every episode of the podcast is also available as a PDF that you can save for yourself or forward to others. If you want the email version of the tips in addition to the podcast, just hit the subscribe button when you're on the website. It's on every page. I would really love to hear from you, and I would love to add you to the email list. To all of you who post reviews or send me emails, I am so very grateful to be in touch with you. Thank you. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>